Forest Hell, March 13, 1919. Esteemed mortal of New Orleans, the Axeman. They have never caught me, and they never will. They have never seen me, for I am invisible, even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the Axeman. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then, so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of you people who do not jazz it out on that specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Hello, and welcome to Unknowable, the podcast where we talk about all things mysterious, unusual, or unknowable. I'm Justine. And I'm Gray. This week, we are talking about a serial killer and just general creep known as the Axeman of New Orleans. (laughs) Just general creep. I mean, Um, he transcends even just being an awful murderer and is just like a weird dude who did some weird shit. Yeah, kind of just a weird dude. He, um, so quick little pronunciation bit here. I looked it up. It's apparently locals call it New Orleans. New Orleans. Okay. Yeah. Also like Nolans, but we're not going to do that. Nolans. Well, uh, foreshadowing, but in the, in the, in the letter, he says Orleanians or Orleanians or Leninians (laughs) Orleanians. I don't know. Definitely the last one. Yeah. Or the Ninians. Or the Ninians. Um, yeah, actually, I did think of that, too. I was like, how, the, so if it's New Orleans, how do you say? Because, yeah, New Orleanians Orleanians. Better. Maybe the Maybe the pronunciation has migrated over time from Orleans to Orleans. Right? Like, I kind of wonder if people calling it New Orleans is like when people come to Maine and they call it Banger. Like instead of Bangor. Yeah. You know, like that kind of thing where like if somebody says it, people are like, oh, I know you're not fucking from here. Right. That's like a movie thing that people say. I'm sure there's a bunch of people from New Orleans right now just listening like, oh, this is like grating on their nerves. Cringing hard. Yeah, we're very sorry. There's at least one person, I think, per episode that we offend with some pronunciation of something. It's the way it should be. It's the way it should be. Keep you on your toes. Exactly. So the Axeman of New Orleans was obviously an American serial killer. Um, so potentially active from May 1918 to October 1919, but we will talk a little bit about how that may have been his second spurt of kills. Right. Um, never identified, and their murders remain unsolved to this day. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. So as his name implies, uh, the victims were usually attacked with an axe, yep. which almost always belonged to the victims themselves. Interesting. Which is kind of cool. I thought about it. Like, on one hand, I was like, huh, I don't know how many people would have an axe in their house nowadays. But then thinking back to 1918, a lot of people were chopping wood for firewood and things like that. So, like, an axe was just a thing that you had. Right. It is kind of ballsy, too, to go to someone's house to murder them without a weapon. Without a weapon. And just hope. 
Yeah. Like that must have been, I mean, if that was like his, I mean, so then I guess it begs the question, was that his preferred weapon or was that just a thing that he knew people would have? Well, we'll see. It's very possible that that was a weapon that he came to over time. Like he, he may have Mm -hmm. experimented first with other Right. Yeah. Other weapons, we and will, he we will see. May may have used an axe as a weapon of opportunity at one point, and was like, "Yo, this is it. Yeah, this is this is sweet. what I've been craving." Well, that's I when I was reading about this, uh, somebody like in a Reddit thread was like, "What the hell was going on that there were so many axe murderers back then?" And yeah, somebody was like, "It wasn't really necessarily that they were just like, oh, axes are dope. Like it was just like, oh yeah, there's axes everywhere. It's a perfect murder machine too. Yeah. Oh yeah. Like <laughs> axes are." intense and you can pretty easily hurt yourself by accident so imagine somebody swinging one at you although we'll see from this too that like way more of these people survived for longer than i thought that they would after being struck with an axe oh yeah this was very reminiscent of like zodiac for me i was like huh he wasn't very good at this no he really wasn't no not i mean he i like okay i shouldn't say (laughs) i like any killer i don't like any killer but as far as being interesting I think this is more interesting than Zodiac personally. Right. Um, but similar in some ways, like kind of sucked at killing people and wrote a creepy letter. Was trying to like, um, like, like big dog, the cops, you know, like, Oh, I'm, yeah, I'm so cool. You can't catch me. Even if I try to directly communicate with you. Yeah. Like I'm going to reach out. Although, yeah, we're going to, there's so many things to say about like, Oh, we're going to talk about that later, but yeah. we're going to talk about it later. But yeah, he, um, used the victim's own axe. He almost in every case, a panel on a back door of the home was removed by like a chisel or something similar. Um, and he typically just left those things. Yeah. I know. Like, right. Like chiseling out a panel of the door. And now I'm trying to imagine how big that space would be. And doesn't seem like it'd be very big to get through. You know what I mean? Like just take one panel off a door. That seems small. Well, I'm assuming he took the panel off and then like reached through and opened it from the inside. Oh yeah, duh, that makes sense. <laughs> Didn't like, <laughs> like s- slip his way through like a cat door. Yeah, I'm like imagining him like you see those videos of like the octopus right. that can like exactly. go inside that tiny box. I'm yep. like, oh, this guy just has no bones. Okay. Or like a uh, tombs from the X Files. Yes. Oh shit, yeah, that like just came into my head when I said no bones. <laughs> boneless oh. boneless yeah, axe so murder. If if you listeners don't know yet, we love the X Files, and if you haven't watched it, you should. Yeah. What are you even doing with your life? Yeah, what are you even doing? Um, okay, so he probably didn't climb in yes. the hole, but that would be cool if he did. Right. Um, and then attacked one or more of the residents with either the axe or also a straight razor. Oof. And um, he typically, he never removed any items from the victim's home, so robbery wasn't really uh, a thought for the law enforcement. Right. Um, so, yeah, we're just going to jump right into the victim's. Let's go for it. Seems like seems like the place to go. Um, so, victim number one, Joseph Maggio, attacked May twenty third, nineteen eighteen. Um, so Joseph was an Italian grocer, which you will see, listeners, as we go along, that this is a common theme. Yep. Um, killed while sleeping, also a common theme, alongside his wife Catherine at their home on the corner of Upper Line and Magnolia Streets, where they conducted a barroom and grocery. Um, yeah, broke into their home, cut both of their throats with a straight razor and upon leaving bashed both of their heads with an ax, perhaps to conceal their real cause of death. Um, so Joseph survived the attack, but died minutes after being discovered by his brothers, Jake and Andrew. 
Yikes. Like, how um, do you survive your throat getting slit and then getting hit in the head with an axe? I, I had the same exact thought. I was like, damn, like, especially for his brothers of all people to find him. Yeah. That Jesus. must have been quite a scene. Um, Yeah, they didn't apparently do a super complete search of the premises um, until a little bit after the bodies were removed. But the bloody razor was found later on the lawn of a neighboring property as well as a blood-soaked suit and socks. Um, like, the killer changed his clothes and left his bloody clothes there. Which which is... On one hand, a good... I guess it, it was a better forensic countermeasure back in the day, because, like, back in the day, there's no DNA. So it's right. not like they can get any, like, fibers off that or whatever. So yeah. taking it, like, that way you're not walking through the streets covered in blood. So I guess it's a, a good idea. Right. Wouldn't be Smart. a good idea nowadays, but... No, that would be terrible nowadays. Um, and especially like, and even like leaving all of the tools behind. I mean, obviously nowadays you could still conceal your identity with that too, but a little bit more risky to leave a bunch of stuff behind that you touched. Right. Fingerprints, um, DNA. Yeah. But this dude was just like, nope. Like the screwdriver used to chisel out the door panel was found in the backyard. Um, so they initially thought that the razor used to slit their throats was actually Joseph's brother, Andrew, um, or belonged to his brother, Andrew, who had a barber shop on Camp Street. Um, Andrew's employee, Esteban Torres, told police that Andrew had removed the razor from his shop two days prior, explaining that he wanted to have a nick honed from the blade. Um, hmm. That ended up not being a thing. It turned out it was a different blade, so that's good. Um, Andrew, who lived in an adjoining apartment, apparently found the victims roughly two hours after the attack. Um, he, like heard strange moaning coming through the walls which is also terrible i like do not want to imagine what that sounded like nope and he apparently blamed his failure to hear anything sooner on his intoxicated state i guess he had been celebrating um prior to his departure to join the navy but police were you know a little surprised that he didn't hear the intruders forced entry didn't hear the attack which i guess also questionable i mean if they were sleeping maybe there wasn't any noise until after the attack started, you know? Right. Um, hmm. Yeah, that's... But, I mean, yeah. it's weird that he didn't hear the attack, but he heard, right. like, the weird moaning coming through the wall. Yeah. Because, I mean, I right. have never hit somebody in the head with an axe, but I imagine that it makes a probably a pretty loud noise. You know, I hadn't thought about that too deeply, and now I'm really upset about it. <laughs> yep, I'm really I'm about it. psyched that I'm considering this, but hmm. here yeah. we are. Well, it's true. And I do wonder, I don't know how loud it would be to like pry the thing off the door and to get in. Like maybe that really wouldn't make that much noise. I don't know. Hmm. I mean, yes, technically a forced entry, but it's not like he broke the door down right. or broke a window. Maybe he could do that pretty quietly. And I, I just feel like and... a lot of like the quietest part of that whole situation would have been him like moaning through the wall after. Right. I guess maybe he yeah. could have like been at the height of his drunkness when the attack happened and then he was sobering up when yeah, the moaning that's true. was if happening. It was a couple hours later, yeah, then he's like, wait a minute, what's yeah. that noise? Um, yeah, no, he became a prime suspect for those reasons because they were like, huh, that's weird. Like, this is potentially your razor and you didn't hear anything. Um, one of the things I read did say that, like, he heard the moaning, didn't go right in. He, like, went out of the apartment and I guess the other brother, I think one other brother or maybe two other brothers um, 
like must have lived close enough by that he like went to their apartments to be like, yo, something's going on. And then they all went in and found him. So that almost seemed weird to me. Like, and he was ruled out as a suspect because they just didn't have enough evidence. But that seemed a little odd to me too, that it like, if you heard your brother on the other side of the wall, making like some terrible noises and you thought something like whether you thought he was sick or hurt or whatever, it just seems odd that you'd like go and get your brother or brothers to come with you. Like that almost to me felt like I could see how it was looked at like, huh? He wanted other people there to be like, Oh my God, look what I found. Totally by accident. Right. Like kind of like get your story straight kind of. Yeah, exactly. Like if he found them and then told them later, like then nobody else was there when they first went in. So he like needed, you know, witnesses or whatever when he first found them. But again, I'm like leaning hard into this person that ended up not being guilty at all. Right. It, we'll see too that like it, you can tell that the police department kind of didn't know how to handle a random serial killer because right. they every single one of these cases they're just grasping at straws to find like some kind of coherent motive and some kind of like clear suspect when it's really probably just a serial killer killing for sadism rather than right like, a, somebody trying to rob them or somebody close to the family or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't the connections in these murders as, as you listeners will see is not really anything like it doesn't seem like this killer knew these people. It doesn't seem like this was personal in that way. It de- was potentially personal in a different way that we'll talk about, but right. Um, yeah, I mean, think about it too. Like they, you know, the term serial killer wasn't even a thing back right. then. Like it wasn't even close. Um, and they didn't understand or really, you know, talk about the sort of like psychopathy behind serial killers. They didn't, know all of those connections and it was kind of yeah i mean i was reading a little bit about the the crime in new orleans at the time and it was like yeah like there was crime but a lot of it was what you think of like disputes between people who knew each other and robberies and things but it wasn't really stuff like this right um which i mean even nowadays it's primarily stuff like that still it's not that common that there's like an actual just somebody killing just to kill um but yeah so the the brother was a prime suspect, but he was released. They really couldn't get any real evidence on him. And he had like talked about a strange man who was seen lurking near the residence. Um, they found a cryptic message written in chalk on the pavement, a short distance from the scene of the crime that said, quote, Mrs. Maggio will sit up tonight, just like Mrs. Tony. So hmm. the police theorized that this message referred to Mrs. Tony Chambra who was one of a number of grocers of Italian descent killed and attacked during a similar period from 1911 to 1912. That's kind of what I was hinting at earlier. Um, The majority of those victims were also attacked in their homes with an ax by a man who entered their properties by knocking out a panel in the back door. So most likely the same dude. It's pretty on the nose. Or, you know, this is a real serious copycat, but it's believed by many that these two time periods were connected and this was the same dude why there was a chunk of time missing in there we're not sure that's going to be theorized later but right um kind of creepy that this you know was potentially his first killing back and he referenced a, an older murder so you know maybe even sort of letting law enforcement know like i'm back bitches right which i'm fucking back given what else we know about him would make sense for his personality yeah exactly so yeah joseph was First victim, I mean, I guess technically his wife, Catherine, was the first. Uh, her throat was cut so deeply that her head was nearly severed and she actually drowned to death in her own blood. Jesus, that is dark. Yeah, 
yeah, drowned fucking... to death in her own blood. Yeah, like asphyxiated on her own blood. Ugh. Um, which yeah, I something about beheading. I mean, I know like nobody's into that and nobody's like unaffected by that, but that in particular reading about crimes, there's something about the idea of like a head just barely hanging on that like freaks me the fuck out. Yes. Yeah. That's like very dark. Especially like finding that. Yeah. And like, I guess the idea if it was done with an ax would seem like, okay, yeah, like an ax is super heavy and like you could just, I mean, not that I've wielded an ax that many times in my life, but I feel like you could just one good whack on somebody and like, boom, there goes their head. But to do that with a straight razor is like, shit, man. And I always wonder if it's like one clean, just like with a straight razor or is it like like multiple passes or are you sawing? Uh. Yeah. So he uh, came out strong with his first two victims. Yeah. Well, first two victims, first two confirmed victims. Right. Yeah. First, exactly. First two. Well, first two of this spree. Right. Um, So yeah, that's late May. Then about a month later, June 27th, 1918, uh, Louis, Louis Bessumer, and uh, his mistress, Harriet Lowe, were both attacked in the early hours in the quarters at the back of his grocery at the corner of Dorgenois and La Harpe. Nice. <laughs> I just Perfect like pronunciation. Right? <laughs> Maybe. We'll see. Um, giving the street names only because, A, they were provided when I was looking this up, and also, if people live in New Orleans, maybe they want to go check it out. That'd be kind of cool. Um, yeah, I mean, or, you know, you live near those streets and you're like, oh, fuck. Didn't know this happened here. Um, Bessumer, I'm just going to go with that for his pronunciation. That's what I'd say. Uh, struck with a hatchet above his right temple, which resulted in a possible skull fracture. And Lowe was hacked over the left ear and found unconscious when police arrived. They were discovered, like, a little after 7 a.m., a driver of a bakery wagon who was just there like making a routine delivery, John Zanka found them in a puddle of their own blood, both bleeding from the head. Um, they found the ax, which of course belonged to Louis in the bathroom. That was also a common thread. A lot of the axes were found in the bathroom. Hmm. Um, he later stated to police that he had been sleeping when he was attacked. Almost immediately police arrested suspect, uh, Louis Ubicon, a then 41-year-old black man who had been employed at the store just a week before. No evidence existed to implicate him, but they arrested him anyway, whoa, stating whoa, whoa. that he... Yeah, I know. You I mean to like, say they arrested whoa. a black man with no evidence. With no evidence, yeah. But like At least it was the first and last time that ever happened in history. I was going to say, at least this was like such a weird blip in the radar. Like Everybody learned their lesson, and they were like, you know what? That was shitty and racist, and then it never happened again. For sure. Yeah. So, yeah, they said that he offered conflicting accounts of his whereabouts that morning, which, again, like, side note to say, if I am ever questioned about where I was on any given day, like, and somebody thinks that I'm a murderer, I'm fucked, dude. Like, I can't remember where I've been. Oh, my God, right? Like, Like, if somebody was like, where were you last Wednesday at 2 p.m., I have no idea. Right? I'd have like, to, like, literally no idea. I don't even know. I don't even know what resource I would go to to try to figure that out. Maybe like my text messages. Right. Yeah. Like I'd have to look through my own info. I'd have to like go into my photo roll, which would give me some indication because I do take a lot of photos, but like it would be, I, I would not be able to give a clear answer. I would just completely blank out. Yeah. And it would be a, more or less a guess. Like this is my yeah. best guess for what I was doing. Yeah. Like I was most likely home 
And then they'd be like, oh, you weren't blah, 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 like at Dunkin' Donuts getting another frozen chocolate. And I'd be like, oh, shit, you're right. Yes, I was there. And they'd be like, oh, you weren't coming back from a photo shoot? And I'd be like, oh, shit, yeah. Like everything they said, I'd be like, oh, right, right, right. And they'd be like, yeah, this is really suspect. You definitely killed this person. And it'd be bad. So this poor dude, like obviously was aware that racism existed and he just got arrested for something that like he had nothing to do with. And they're like, where the fuck were you? And he's like stumbling over his accounts and they're like, yep, you're fucking guilty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this was like height um, of the KKK too. Or like the yeah. initial emergence of the KKK. So oh yeah, this is he was probably not getting a fair shake from these cops. No. Um, yeah, shortly after the attempted murder, uh, Harriet Lowe stated that she remembered being attacked by a mulatto man, but her statement was discounted due to her disillusioned state. Um Robbery was said to be the only possible explanation, yet, again, no items were missing from the home. Hmm. Um, thankfully, Ubicon was later released as police had insufficient evidence, naturally. Right. Um, and then the media kind of, like, blew up because uh, Bessemer himself, I guess, had, like, a trunk full of letters written in German, Russian, and Yiddish in his apartment, and so police suspected he was a German spy. Government officials began, like, this full investigation, and then... Like weeks later, she was like in and out of consciousness in the hospital and Harriet told police that she thought he was in fact a German spy. So like he was arrested (laughs) and then again, he was released because they didn't really have any evidence and two of the lead investigators were demoted due to unacceptable police work. Um, and then (laughs) poor dude was like arrested again. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like, right. Like unacceptable police work, maybe the same dudes who arrested the other dude. I don't know. Um, and then, yeah, he was arrested again in August after Harriet, who was actually dying at this point at the hospital. Um, she had like a failed surgery to, you know, treat her wounds. She stated that it was actually Louis who had attacked her with his own hatchet. And then he was charged with murder and served nine months in prison before he was acquitted in May, 1919 after like a 10 minute jury deliberation. So that was a good time. Right. Yeah, so a lot going on there. So he lived. Louis was fine. Um, So attempted third murder victim, but actually lived. Um, But Harriet, as much as she did not die on the scene, she did die later. Um, Yeah, rushed to the hospital. She ended up kind of becoming the center of like a media circus because she just over and over was making these like really scandalous statements about the case and just lying about shit. Um, and then she already was like going crazy about that. And then people found out, they just assumed, I think that she was the wife. Um, but then his actual legal wife arrived from Cincinnati. I don't know what the story was there, but then it was like, Oh wait, this woman's actually just his mistress that was living with him. Cool. So just like inflamed all this drama. She kept talking about how she like didn't like the new Orleans chief of police and she didn't want to comply with questioning. And, um, but yeah, like a few weeks after the attack, when she initially got out of the hospital, she returned back to his home. Um, I guess one side of her face was paralyzed from being attacked with a hatchet. And then they Christ. tried to perform surgery to fix that. And she died after complications from that. So that's awful. See, so I, I don't want to tip my hand too much here, but personally, I think that none of that messy personal bullshit had anything to do with these murders. I think that right. this is a perfect example of like 
random stranger murder. And the police yeah. are just grasping at straws and dig up all this dirt because people's lives are messy. And if you dug into probably almost anybody's life, you dig up yeah. stuff like this. And it just, it muddies the investigation. Right. And not to say that it's like distracting them from actually finding the the real serial killer because I doubt they would have anyways. But I don't know. Right. It just seems like yeah. bad police work. Or maybe not. Yeah. No, definitely bad police work. But also like mm. just standard police work back in the day. Right. And also like... I mean, I guess, you know, as always, and this is still true today, like all these news sources want things that will sell and things that will keep people interested. But like, there's no need really to like the fact that she was a mistress didn't really have anything to do with it. Like all this stuff that she was saying about like hating the police or whatever, like didn't really matter in the case. So the fact that the newspaper and stuff was like relaying all this information is just like, come on. Right. Not necessary. We don't need that. Messy. So, yeah, that was the second couple attacked. So we've got two, well, technically three dead out of four so far. Hmm. Um, Then number five was Anna Schneider, 28 years old and eight months pregnant. Um, She was attacked in the early evening hours, August 5th, 1918. Um, She lived on Elmira Street and she woke up to find a dark figure standing over her before she was bashed in the face repeatedly. Jesus, that is like worst case scenario. Yeah, so you're like you, you know, wake up because you have like that weird feeling of like somebody's in the room, and then boom, that happens. It's almost like um, oh, what's that phenomenon called? Um, sleep paralysis. Oh, uh, yes, it's like sleep paralysis, except it's real. Yeah, yeah. Shout out to Joel, who has experienced sleep paralysis, and someday Thanks. we will finally do an episode on it. Yeah, my wife Abby, she has sleep paralysis, not like regularly, but every once in a while. Fuck, dude, that sucks. Yep. Why did I not know that? Freaky. Seems like I think I should know. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. Not cool. Yeah. So you wake up and you're like, oh, weird. Another sleep paralysis. And then, nope, it's real. And your face is bashed in. Her scalp was cut open. Um, She was discovered after midnight by her husband, Ed, who was returning late from work. She claimed she remembered nothing of the attack. Um, Thankfully, she gave birth to a healthy baby girl just a couple days after. Jesus. Um. Yeah, her husband told police nothing was stolen from the home besides six or seven dollars that had been in his wallet. Um, The windows and doors appeared not to have been forced open and authorities came to the conclusion that the woman was most likely attacked with a lamp that had been on a nearby table. Hmm. Um, James Gleason, who police said was an ex-convict, was arrested shortly after she was found, but he was also released due to complete lack of evidence. (laughs) And this is the point when lead investigators began to like publicly speculate that maybe this was related to the previous incidents. They kind of started to see like there's something going on here. But again, pattern. they're like, shit, we have to find somebody who did this. Wasn't there that guy who got released from prison relatively recently? It must have been him. <laughs> yeah, must have been that guy. Just grabbing like pretty much every one of these cases. They're just like, who's the nearest person that maybe did this? <laughs> Literally like the, Let's the, arrest the first person they thought of. No critical thought. Yeah. No thought at all. Like, and he's like, yeah, I wasn't even like in the city. And they're like, oh, fuck. Dang it. Dang it. Like, we really wanted to pin this, which I can see too. I mean, I don't know how scared people were at this point, this early on, but I can see at some point that like when the whole city is freaked out that maybe, you know, there is, I'm sure some desire to just like, we really need to pin this on somebody. Right. But not (laughs) falsely pinning it, but like they really want to find somebody to be like, this person did it so that they can like end the fear. That's the thing though. I feel like a lot of cops have tried to do that throughout history. You just like, we're just going to grab somebody and 
pin them, pin it on them, and then we can like pat ourselves on the back and go home. And it's like, right. yeah, then like people are, feel good for like a day, and then that murderer strikes again, and then you're like, oh shit, now you look like an idiot, and yeah, a murderer is still out there. Well, right. Then there's still the fear and the danger. And now people have less confidence in your ability to keep them safe. So now they're like more scared right. than they were. Plus like all these like innocent people are like being like pulled into a murder investigation and we're reading right. their names as if they're murderers like a hundred years later. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. No, it sucks. So, okay. So that's five people so far, three of them dead, two alive. She lived technically if her baby was a potential victim, the baby lived Everything's good. Um, so then we've got Joseph Romano, an elderly elderly man living with his two nieces, Pauline and Mary. Uh, this was August 10th, 1918. Pauline and Mary awoke to the sound of a commotion in the adjoining room where their uncle resided. They entered the room and discovered their uncle had taken a serious blow to his head, which had two open cuts. Um, the assailant was actually fleeing the scene as they arrived. They were able to distinguish that he was a dark-skinned, heavy-set man who wore a dark suit and a slouched hat. Hmm. Um, Joseph was very seriously injured but was able to walk to the ambulance once it arrived, although he died two days later due to severe head trauma. Um, the home had been ransacked, but no items were stolen. Authorities found a bloody axe in the backyard and discovered that a panel in the back door had been chiseled away. So this murder in particular apparently created like a state of extreme chaos in the city. Now residents are scared waiting for an ax man attack. Um, police were like receiving reports in which citizens claimed to have seen an ax man lurking or saw like somebody jumping over a wall, things like that. Right. Um, so I just want to say too. So the description is that he had dark skin yeah. and I'm dubious of that because statistics show that serial killers almost never, strike outside of their racial like group or whatever. So like white people kill white people, black people kill black people. Right. So yeah. a black man killing Italian people would be not unheard of, but rare. So yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely much more likely that he was just a white guy. Yeah. And it was dark outside. Like, so they're like, Oh, he had dark skin. And it's like, yeah, that's because it was dark. Yeah, like there was not lights on the shadow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I know. Very unlikely. And I'm pretty sure like they are the only ones who described him as being dark skinned. I think everybody else that saw him said that he just looked like a white guy. Um, so yeah, probably some like ingrained racism there and yeah, also just like not getting a good look at him, Right. but very unlikely that he actually was dark skinned. Right. I think. Just want to throw um, that out there. Yeah. Just tossing it out there. So yeah, a few men even called to like say that they found axes in their backyards um, which like what? Like you just going around yeah. like throwing axes in people's backyards, but not murdering yeah. them. Like what does that mean? I don't even know. Yeah, they're like, oh shit, he was here. Like what was he? Like he just picked up an axe and like got halfway across the yard, and he was like, you know eh, what? Never mind. I'm not feeling like murdering today. Like I'm really hungry right now. Yeah. <laughs> just gonna head home. Man. Um, John D'Antonio, a then retired Italian detective, made public statements in which. He hypothesized that the man who had committed the Axeman murders was the same who had killed several individuals in 1911. Um, he described the killer as an individual of dual personalities, a real-life Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. That's the closest so. to, like, psychoanalyzing a serial killer that we're going to get in this story. Oh, yeah, pretty much. Like, that's about as far as it got. As 
I feel like this John D'Antonio was like one of the only people who was like, you know, <laughs> it's like something weird going on here with this guy. Right. But yeah, so they're kind of starting to like link up. You know, this is clearly a pattern here. People are freaked. Um, some kind of personality issue here. So yeah, this poor Joseph Romano died later again. Like, <laughs> I guess these two people who died later, like technically you killed them, but like you didn't kill them on the spot, man. You had an ax. How do you not kill a person with an ax? Right. Like you got to like the dude, if you were have any like physical fitness whatsoever, you can do some serious damage with an ax, but almost every yeah. single one of these cases, there's somebody who survived either like fully survived or survived for long enough to like be noticed to have survived. Oh yeah. Like, yeah. Them finding him alive like that. I mean, technically I'm like, okay, he didn't die in the moment. And maybe it said, you know, they heard a commotion, they went in and then he was fleeing. So maybe he didn't know there were other people and he just got interrupted. So he would have finished the job if they hadn't come in, but still. Um, so then we've got Charles Cordomiglia, an immigrant who lived with his wife, Rosie and infant daughter, Mary on the corner of Jefferson Avenue and second street in Gretna, Louisiana, which is a new Orleans suburb across the Mississippi river. Um, so we're now at March 10th, 1919. Wait a minute. Where were we at before? Okay. Joseph Romano was August 10th, 1918. So we had, he had a few months off. Took a vacation. Um, people were probably starting to feel good. Yeah. They're like, Oh, okay. This is done. And then no March 10th, uh, screams were heard coming from the residence. Grocer uh, Orlando Giordano rushed across the street to investigate. He noticed that Charles, his wife, and their daughter had all been attacked. So the wife, Rosie, stood in the doorway with a serious head wound, clutching her deceased daughter. Ugh. Um, Jesus. Yeah. Charles lay on the floor, bleeding profusely. They were rushed to Charity Hospital. They both had skull fractures. Nothing was stolen, but a panel on the back door had been chiseled away. And a bloody axe found on the back porch. Um, the the back panel of on the doorway still keeps like it's a weird little detail. Yeah, like, it's I know. totally a compulsion. Like it's what is it? Is it M O or is it? Yeah, yeah. So it's totally like, like it's a like a like a like a like an obsessive compulsion for him to do that. Because I'm mm. sure there's easier ways. Like back then, windows were like so easy to break. So right. You could like easily just like. I'm sure that they were like unlocked because it was like the 1920s. How yeah. good could the locks even be? Right. So like that has to be part of the ritual, like pulling the yeah. panel out and then going in to murder somebody has to be part of it. Yeah. I would think so. Cause yeah, I would think that, yeah, there just would have been easier ways. Like picking the lock would have been easier. I would think than chiseling away this panel and, and then slithering in with your no bones. <laughs> <laughs> just pouring you your know, boneless like, body through the door. <laughs> yeah. Just like a little boneless puddle. And then he just like, you know, comes to his full form. Um, so Charles was released two days later. His wife remained in the hospital. Um, while in the hospital, apparently the Gretna sheriff, Louis Marrero. <laughs> sorry for that weird. <laughs> Louis. Louis. Um, harassed the couple. You know, questions like, who hit you? Was it the Giordano's? Frank did it, didn't he? Um, That's good. Frank was, yeah. Grocer E. Orlando Giordano, his son was named Frank. Um, According to the doctor who treated her, Rosie always said to the sheriff that she didn't know who attacked her. Um, After she was released, Marrero immediately arrested her as a material witness and put her in the Gretna jail. 
And apparently she was only released when she signed an affidavit implicating their neighbors. Again, the neighbors who found them and helped them. Um, E. Orlando was a 69-year-old man and considered to be in too poor of health to even have committed the crimes. And Frank was six feet tall and 200 pounds. So, see, it said too large to fit through the panel on the door. So they were thinking he (laughs) went through the door. (laughs) So um, Maybe he just had really thick forearms. Yeah. Um... Charles, like, completely denied his wife's claims, and yet police arrested and charged the men, of course. They would later be found guilty. Frank was sentenced to hang, and his father got life in prison. Um, Supposedly, Charles divorced his wife after the trial, because he was just like, fucking A. Jesus. But nine months later, Rosie went to the Times-Picayune and told them that she had falsely accused the two. Um, And they were, thankfully, released from jail. So nobody actually went to prison for life or got hanged. Good. Um, yeah. And so one of the stories that I read was saying that, that she got pressured into implicating them. And then later was like, oops, one of them said that she had like admitted later that she implicated them because of like, apparently they were rival grocers, which is part of, I think what the police wanted to kind of pin this on was like, Oh, you guys are like supposedly, uh, Orlando had like taken them to court for something like some dispute in the past. So, Hmm. I don't know if it's just like, again, the police just wanted that to be it and wanted to be like, come on, just say it was them who did it. That is such like like, a, like a Victorian thing to say. Like they were rival grosses. (laughs) Yeah, I know. Like (laughs) I was just trying to imagine like, what was this world? He priced his flour at one cent a pound. We have it two cents a pound. (laughs) Yeah. Like he was totally undercutting us. I don't even know. I mean, they were neighbors. Like, you rushed across the street. So, like, they had stores across the street from each other. If we're assuming, it seemed like most of these people, that was, like, the thing, is that you lived, like, above or, like, you lived in the back of or above your store. So, if that's true, then, like, they did have stores across the street from each other. Bad business move. Why did the other person, whoever opened it second, why did they do that? Right? There. Yeah. I mean, it's like nowadays you got, like, you know, two Starbucks across the street from each other. (laughs) Starbucks (laughs) on every corner. I always hate when people say that. Like, yeah, and they're both busy as hell. Yeah, and they're also owned by the same company, so it's different. <laughs> yeah, it's different. So, yeah, that that was a whole thing. So, again, that was shitty. The two adults yeah. lived, the baby died. Really sad. Jesus. Um, so, yeah, Rosie, badly injured but survived. The Mary, the two-year-old daughter, killed while sleeping in her mother's arms. Oof. Wow. Yeah, it seemed like the one of the stories that I read was like, the wife, Rosie, heard her husband being attacked and, like, ran in with the daughter. And, like, I don't know if she was trying to, like, fight the guy off or what was going on, but um, he, I think that's, I was, like, kind of wondering, I'm like, why, how was, like, the daughter already in her arms when she was killed? But I think that's what it was, that she ran in, like, with the daughter being like, oh, my God, what's going on? And, you know, didn't expect to see a man with an axe, and there he was. Yep. So, yep, then we've got... So, okay, should we talk about the letter now or talk about it after? I think now, because this is where it fits in chronologically. Okay. All right. So, yeah, that was March 10th. So all these so, murders have already happened. Yeah, a bunch of murders have already happened. He's This killer is known as the Axeman of New Orleans or the Axeman. Um, also the Boogeyman he was referred to as. Generic, but okay. Just creepy. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, uh, March 13th, the... Was it the Times Picayune that got this? I think so. I think so. Um, they got a super spooky letter. Yes, they did. 
Um, it's intense. Uh, it was basically at the top. It said hottest hell, March 13th, 1919 esteemed mortal of new Orleans, the ax man. Uh, they have never caught me and they never will. I'm going to do this really dramatic. Yeah. They have never seen me for I am invisible. Even as the ether that surrounds your earth. I am not a human being, but a spirit and a demon from the hottest hell. <laughs> okay, I don't know how to say Orleanians or Orleanians. Damn it. I think it's, it's got to be Orleanians, man. I, okay. I don't give a shit what people from New Orleans say. Wow. Dude, we don't know how many listeners are from New Orleans. Look, also, to be fair, it's New Orleans. So, Orlin, Orlean, France has the monopoly on how to pronounce their own name. Wow. I, you know, I never even thought about that. You know? Hmm. Okay. Just saying. I am what you Orleanians and your foolish police call the axe man. When I see fit, I shall come and claim other victims. I alone know whom they shall be. I shall leave no clue except my bloody axe, besmeared with blood and brains of he who I have sent below to keep me company. Dude. So he, so, but he sent them below, but they're also keeping him company. (laughs) Just just saying. (laughs) Like he's not already below. Bad form. He's like, he's coming up from below to kill them so that like, they'll be down there when he gets back. Oh, I see. Okay. Oh yeah, but very reminiscent of the Zodiac killer, who's quote unquote collecting slaves for the afterlife or whatever. Yes, oh, true. Yeah, there there's some some parallels here. The, the Zodiac might have been inspired. Um. Okay. If you wish, you may tell the police to be careful not to rile me. Of course, I am a reasonable spirit. I take no offense at the way they have conducted their investigations in the past. In fact, they have been so utterly stupid as to not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Francis Joseph, etc. Oh, I forgot. Who is Francis Joseph? Blah. Francis Joseph. You keep reading and I'll figure it out. Okay. But tell them to beware. Let them not try to discover what I am, for it were better that they were never born than to incur the wrath of the axe man. Okay. Side note, I think you should probably chill a little bit with that because like again there's a bunch of people he tried to kill and didn't succeed so <laughs> i'm not sure he can go as far as to say it's better that they were never born yeah um okay i don't think there is a need any need of such a warning for i feel sure the police will always dodge me as they have in the past they are wise and know how to keep away from all harm undoubtedly you orleanians think of me as a most horrible murderer which i am but i could be much worse if i wanted to If I wished, I could pay a visit to your city every night. At will, I could slay thousands of your best citizens and the worst, for I am in close relationship with the angel of death. Now, to be exact, at 12.15 earthly time on next Tuesday night, I am going to pass over New Orleans. In my infinite mercy, I am going to make a little proposition to you people. Here it is. I am very fond of jazz music, and I swear by all the devils in the nether regions that every person shall be spared in whose home a jazz band is in full swing at the time I have just mentioned. If everyone has a jazz band going, well, then so much the better for you people. One thing is certain, and that is that some of your people who do not jazz it out on that (laughs) specific Tuesday night, if there be any, will get the axe. Well, as I am cold and crave the warmth of my native Tartarus, and it is about time I leave your earthly home, I will cease my discourse. Hoping that thou wilt publish this, that it may go well with thee, I have been, am, and will be the worst spirit that ever existed either in fact or realm of fancy. The Axeman. That's dun, like dun. my f- favorite weird letter. Yeah, it's, weird. it's very, like, very... 
stylized. Yeah. It's so like whoever wrote this and we'll talk a little bit about this later that it's in question if it was the ax man. Right. Um, because I mean, realistically you think about it, like there's no proof besides like he literally said, I'm the ax man, but there was nothing in there that proves that this was the man who killed. I mean, a lot of these details are known. Nothing he said was anything that everybody didn't know. There's really no details in there at all, except where he came from that he's like the super cool demon and right. kind of played up his own shit a little bit. Like, I really don't think he could have slayed thousands of people. No, I know that was like, okay, dude, like it literally like wasn't possible back then to do that, but <laughs> it wasn't possible. Nice try. So he definitely thought highly of himself. Whoever wrote that. Um, and yeah, some weird references there to him, like being really tight with the angel of death. Yeah. Um, I guess, and, I guess uh, the reference to Franz Joseph, he was, Franz Joseph I of Austria. He was Emperor of Austria, King of Hungary, Croatia, and Bohemia, and monarch of other states in the Austro-Hungarian Empire. What? It was his nephew, Franz Ferdinand, who was assassinated and caused the outbreak of World War. So Interesting. I, I don't know why he's being equated with Satan himself in the <laughs> Axeman's letter. Like, yeah, or that he's like just down there chilling with Satan. Like he amuses me, not only amuse me, but his satanic majesty, Franz Joseph, etc. Right. Huh. That's interesting. Yeah, I have no idea. Um, and you were looking up to the Tartarus, his native Tartarus. Yeah. So Tartarus, Tartarus, Tartarus yes. whatever, is <laughs> um, the deep abyss that is used as a dungeon of torment and suffering for the wicked and prison for the titans in Greek mythology. It's actually where the Titans are held. Um, and it's also where Sisyphus is held supposedly in perpetuity, rolling the rock up the hill only to have it roll right back down the other side. Dang. So it's basically the, it's the Greek conception of hell. Damn. So this dude like just really thinks of these in hell. Right. And I would assume that to be familiar with Greek, like, you know, Greek mythology basically would imply that this person is like educated who wrote this. Yeah. Um, yep. Which also given the sort of flowery language would also lend itself to that. And, you know, trying to, this person clearly thinks highly of themselves because they're almost like challenging the police and trying to like big dog the police with this letter and be like, you guys like, there's no way you can catch me. You guys are idiots. You've already missed me several times. <laughs> oh yeah. That's like exactly. Um, whoops. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. That's great. That's great. Uh, we're such professional podcasters. Just, you know. Oh my God, it's doing it on both. Jesus. No. Okay, there it goes. It's gone. We know what we're so, doing, guys. Don't worry. So sorry. All right, maybe let's uh, here start saying your thing about him seeming educated. We'll see if Nate can cut that part out. Okay. That was like 47 minutes. Okay. So clearly the references to Greek mythology means that he was like educated in some way trying to mm -hmm. like, like, you know, big dog the police by saying like, Oh, I'm like this sophisticated educated criminal that can like quote the classics. And also like, I could kill all these people and you guys are so yeah. stupid. You haven't even caught me. You make me laugh. Yeah. It just seems kind of like, it sounds like it's some dude posting on Reddit trying to like, <laughs> like, talk about how like superior he is to like, I don't know. Yeah. Like, like, like the police or the powers to be or whatever. 
right and like sending letters to the newspaper at the time like was the reddit of the time exactly exactly <laughs> like, like letter to no the editor forums. <laughs> that's awesome yeah and again like okay so um there's a woman miriam davis who wrote uh, a book called the axe man of new orleans the true story um who apparently did a lot you know obviously a lot of research and read through a lot of police reports and all kinds of stuff she believes that the letter was not written by the killer. Um, and she mentioned what you just did, that the ax man was almost certainly not a well-educated person. Um, I was going to say like his, seemed, his murders don't seem super sophisticated. No, like it seemed like he was working class. Um, he in all likelihood was a burglar. So at the time that kind of person would not have been well-educated, but clearly the person who wrote the letter was. Um, and so, <laughs> Interestingly enough, she thinks that the letter, and she's not the only one who thinks that the letter may have been written by a man named John Joseph Davila, a musician and jazz composer who came out with a composition called The Mysterious Axeman's Jazz, in parentheses, Don't Scare Me, Papa, <laughs> right after the publication of that letter, and he made a ton of money on it. It was super popular. So she wow. actually thinks that he sent the letter in and, you know, got everybody all riled and everybody was interested, and then he came out with the single, and then everybody was like... So it's like viral marketing. All about it. Yeah, wow. which almost like would be hilarious, but it really doesn't. I mean, there's just nothing about those murders. And I mean, that letter was like so off the wall that who knows? I mean, I feel like it it could go either way. Right. And also, I don't know. Like it didn't contain, I mean, like the whole legend of Tartarus isn't like a super deep dive into Greek mythology. Like it's pretty like, you know, top, top down. So mm. it could have been somebody who wasn't super educated who because they've pulled off you know what five or six murders at this point yeah felt as if they were super smart and intelligent and was trying to like um you know like appear more intelligent to like people out there to kind of like you know almost like playing a role like oh i'm actually this sophisticated murderer when really i'm just a yeah. some dude breaking in with an axe Right. And like, I, I'm definitely of the mindset of like, sure, it's not the most likely scenario that this killer was this very educated person, but I don't think it's impossible. No. Like it's any, any like well-educated person could go and kill people. And right. like we said, it doesn't, didn't take much at the time to get away with murder literally. Right. So it's not like they had to be super smart and planning out like this really deep stuff. It, you know, was as simple as just breaking into people's homes and stealing their axe. Yeah. Stealing their axe and killing them or not killing them. So I don't know. I kind of go either way. I think the idea that it was this jazz composer, like just wanting to make a few bucks is pretty hilarious. Um, but the cool thing was that he wrote that letter, whoever did, and, you know, basically told them like, whoever's playing jazz, I will not kill you. And <laughs> according to all accounts, like new Orleans that night, the night that he, you know, said that he was going to go around and like listen for people not playing jazz was apparently just like off the wall crazy with jazz music everywhere. People just packed into clubs. They like hired, they had bands and they had, you know, just people getting together to play. They had music playing in their homes. Like the entire city was on fire with music that night. Um, honestly, that letter and like that concept. So I first heard about this on, um, BuzzFeed Unsolved and they were like when they started talking about that I was just like that again not that this 
whole thing is cool. Obviously, people dying is not cool. No. But it's just the idea that that letter had such an impact. And, of course, I mean, it, I'm sure it wasn't a fun night because people no. were... Some of them were very scared. Obviously, not everybody. I mean, just like nowadays, if there was supposedly some serial killer in Portland who wanted that to happen, like, there would be people who were just like, this is stupid, but sure, let's have a fucking party. Right. Um. So... You know, the entire city wasn't gripped with terror necessarily, but it just was amazing to me that it had such an impact that, like, people were really, I don't know, I just feel like the energy that night must have been completely incomparable to anything. Like, literally people were at these jazz clubs and, like, playing for their lives, as it was described in one of the things that I read, which was just... See, wild. nowadays people would be out on the streets or playing, like, some other type of music and been like, you know, it's my constitutional right to play whatever kind of music I want. Yeah. I'm not going to be like all you sheep playing Ugh, jazz God. music. Yeah, I can't even handle people yeah. nowadays. I'm so angry at the entire world. <laughs> uh, yeah. yeah, no, it's true. There'd be people just like blasting whatever and like people being like, I'm not going to play any music because like nobody's going to make me. I'd rather I, I, I die. live in America. This Last time I checked, this is America. Yeah, like when I went to bed last night, I lived in a free country and I'm pretty sure I still do. <sighs> but... Yeah, Anyways. it just that like that's what got me in, and then of course reading about the case, I was like, oh, it might not even have been the killer who wrote that letter, but still, right. it still had an impact. Yeah, still a, a wild twist and a turn to the story. Yeah, still just freaking wild. Um, so yeah, so that letter, like I said, was after that previous murder, just a few days later. Um, and then. Yeah, kind of had another few months of a break. Uh, it wasn't until August 10th, 1919, that Steve Boca, a grocer, was attacked in his bedroom as he slept. Um, he woke in the night to find a dark figure looming over his bed. And I guess it said he ran to the street to investigate the intrusion and then found out that his head had been cracked open. Uh-huh. Jesus. He ran to the home of his neighbor, Frank Janusa, where he lost consciousness and collapsed. Um, again, nothing taken from the home and a panel on the back door had been chiseled away. He recovered from his injuries, but couldn't remember any details from his trauma. And, um, yeah, this was the first attack after the letter. Then, yeah, August 10th. So a few weeks later, September 3rd, Sarah Lauman was attacked on, uh, at night. She, neighbors came to check on her, I guess, since she was only 19 and lived alone and they didn't get any answers. So they broke in and they found her unconscious on her bed suffering from a severe head injury and missing several teeth. Um, This one, very questionable if it was actually the axe man. The intruder had entered through an open window and attacked her with a blunt object. Hmm. Um, Weirdly enough, a bloody axe was discovered on the front lawn and she recovered as well, but couldn't recall any details. So I don't know if it's possible that like, I mean, the other side of the axe is blunt, right? Like, yeah. It didn't say what part of the axe was bloody. Is it possible that he, I don't know why he would enter through the window that time, but maybe, maybe he like was just tired and he's like, God, why do I keep like, I could have just gone through the window this whole time. Why have I been chiseling a panel out of this door? Yeah. Like this is bullshit. I don't know. Did he just like attack her with like the butt of the axe instead of the sharp part of the axe? I don't know. I mean, variety is the spice of life, <laughs> right? He was just like, you know, even when you're a murderer, like, that other way just gets so messy, right? And clearly it doesn't work any better. He's like, maybe this will work better. Yeah, didn't didn't work better. So, yeah, he's now a couple of murders in where he didn't actually kill anybody. Um, and then uh, the last one, also unsure, 
Mike Pepitone, October 27th, 1919. Uh, his wife was awakened by a noise and arrived at his bedroom door right as a large axe-wielding man was fleeing. Um, Mike had been struck in the head and was covered in blood. And I guess there was like blood spatter all over the room. Jesus. But his wife was unable to describe any characteristics of the attacker. And as far as I can understand, Mike, I don't know if he, I don't think he died on the spot, but I think he died later. So he was a successful murder. But, and then that was it. Uh, Mike Pepitone was killed and the ax man never struck again. Hmm. That was just done. So, yeah. So, um, going back to some just general info about this, all this stuff. So I kind of went on like a little bit of a dive as far as like, I didn't realize how prevalent Italian Americans were in new Orleans. I guess I didn't know either. No, like, so yeah, there had been an Italian business community sort of like established itself in new Orleans before the civil war. Um, and by 1900, the city had the largest Italian community in the South, about 20,000 Italians, hmm. um, a majority of which came from Sicily. Uh-huh. So a lot of them were working on like sugarcane and cotton plantations. Um, and it said that like as immigrants, they didn't really understand the racial hierarchies of the South. So they didn't see any shame in working alongside black people, right. but many of the white people in the area did look down on them for that because those well, were jobs that they would not have taken. I think that this is still the height of like, you know, Italian people not being white in the view of racists. Oh yeah. Like there's a whole subset of racists who think that Benito Mussolini, the inventor of fascism, isn't a white supremacist because he's Italian and right. they don't think that Italians are white. Oh yeah. Yeah. So, this was absolutely a prevalent uh, mindset at the time. Right. And they were cat and uh, Italians were largely Catholic as well. And so Catholics were looked at again as like, like if the KKK wasn't burning crosses on black people's front yards, they were burning crosses on Catholics front yards. Hmm. So I wonder if it's like a sort of like double racism. Oh yeah. Yeah. They definitely like, this was kind of thought of like, they weren't quite, they weren't black, but they weren't white either. Basically is how people were looking at them. Um, Right. Like they were thought of as, you know, the stereotype was that they were dirty. They were criminals. Um, but even so, the French Quarter became so full of Sicilian immigrants that by like the early 20th century, the lower part of the French Quarter was known as Little Palermo. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, it was huge. So one of the most common upward trajectories for an ambitious Sicilian in New Orleans was that of plantation worker to truck farmer to grocer. So... Hmm. Uh, 1880 Italians owned 7% of grocery businesses in new Orleans by 1900. It was 19%. And then by 1920, which was right after these murders, it was 50%. Wow. Um, yeah, these just Italian immigrants were not content to stay laborers. They worked really hard. They lived on very little. They saved like every penny. And then a lot of them had goals to go into business for themselves as soon as they could. So they just weren't, again, I think part of the racist idea here is white people being angry that these immigrants not just be happy with being laborers out in the field and like, how dare they make something more of themselves, which is just so classic, classic America. Yeah. So despite them being so successful, there is still prejudice and stereotypes. Um, Sicilians in the city tended to have this distrust of local authorities. um, And they had this means of settling disputes called vendetta, which 
We know that word. Right. Um, so many shootings and knife fights happened along Decatur Street that it was nicknamed Vendetta Alley. Um, Jesus. Didn't help that New Orleans chief of police, David Hennessy, was mortally wounded in a rain of gunfire in 1890, and he insisted that, quote, the Dagos got me. Wow. Um, Casual yeah, racism. Had, yeah. He had previously been involved in a violent dispute between two Italian factions. Um, so these attacks happening by this axe man, like scared the shit out of these other Italian people. Like there were men staying up all night with weapons to protect their home, their families. Um, and so of course, just like it would happen today, there, you know, like there's these stereotypes as far as Italian people being involved in the mafia. Mm-hmm. And typically like the average citizen doesn't really understand what the mafia is. So a lot of these locals, in my notes, I said, i.e. white folks yeah, tended white to folks. just assume that these killings were mafia related because of course, like Italian people. Right. Um, but again, that new Orleans detective, John D'Antonio, a nationally known expert on the mafia rejected the idea saying, um, that if it were related to either the mafia or uh, black hand, which was a type of petty extortion where the victim was threatened with violence. If money wasn't paid, which, right. um, Basically, he said if that was the case, if this was something mafia-related, there wouldn't have been survivors. <laughs> right. And, the, the, like, uh, axe murder and killing, like, attacking in the home while they're sleeping, also killing the wife and or a baby, none yeah. of that. Like, there's actually, I think, I, I want to say, like, the like the mafia, like, code, too, is, like, very strict about not killing, um, like, quote-unquote, innocents. Mm. So, like, they wouldn't have attacked the wife and kids and they wouldn't have even right. attacked in front of them. They would have been at like their place of business or something. Yeah. Yeah. It's it was not, not following the standard like mafia MO and it yeah. again, just probably partly just people not understanding what the mafia was partly some like racism in there and partly, um, you know, people wanting it to be explained away. Like if they just thought to themselves like, right. Oh, this is just people that were caught up in some bad, shit and mafia like then they could feel a little safer being like oh well that doesn't have anything to do with me right um so but yeah people who actually are experts in this were like no 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 um the new orleans superintendent of police frank mooney suspected the murderer was quote a murderous degenerate who gloats over blood um again there basically we go what we now, now we're talking serial killer. now yeah. we're talking <laughs> uh but yeah, in some in law enforcement, including the Gretna police department that we were talking about, still found it easier to accept a vendetta between two Italian businesses rather than some bloodthirsty fiend. Um, but yeah, which seems archaic to us now, but again, at the time, we weren't even close to having the term serial killers or understanding that. So people kind of gripping on to like what they know or more accurately what they don't know, I guess. Right. But just that probably seemed safer just to be like, oh, it's just this scary thing that doesn't involve us. So we're going to be okay. Exactly. But Hmm. yeah, according to eyewitness survivors, he was a white working class male in his thirties from the ease with which he broke into the groceries and his use of a railroad shoe pin, a common burglary tool. He most likely was an experienced burglar Hmm. Um, knew what he was doing in that instance. So yeah. So he stopped his attacks in new Orleans with that last, um, one in October, but evidence from police records and newspapers seems to show that he potentially struck elsewhere in Louisiana. He, um, there was a man, Joseph Sparrow and his daughter in Alexandria in December, 1920. 
Giovanni Orlando in DeRitter, Louisiana in January 21, and then Frank Scalisi in Lake Charles in April 1921. Hmm. Um, again, breaking into an Italian grocery, attacking the grocer and their family with their own axe. And then he disappeared after that. So we potentially have three different instances of this person killing. Yeah, that um, seems like very, like that MO is very close. I don't yeah. understand why oh, that's yeah. not more definitively linked to the Axeman. Yeah, I don't know how it couldn't be. Hmm. Um, and again, that writer, Miriam Davis, she believes that not all of the killings that we mentioned were the Axeman. She um, thought that the Louis Basumer and his mistress was domestic violence. And he thought that, um, or she thought, wow, that <laughs> Schneider, who was, which one was Schneider? I think that was the woman that was just attacked, like, in her apartment. Shit. Hang on. <laughs> Getting some notes here. Nice. Let's see. F, I can't find it. Um, but that one in Lauman, who Lauman, I think, was the one that, like, they thought was attacked with, like, the lamp or whatever. Yeah. Um, were interrupted burglaries. Which, yeah, it did seem odd. Like, everything else was, like, this door panel, and then somebody came in a window and attacked somebody with, like, a blunt object. And that... Yeah really had no connection. Like there was no other instance where it was just a woman attacked. Like typically it did seem like this killer was going after these grocers in particular and then their families, maybe if they were also there. Um, but not always like that older dude got attacked and his uh, nieces came in and they like the dude just ran out. He didn't bother to kill them. Hmm. Um, so yeah. Interesting. Yeah. It so, seems like a, like, it ha- I read somewhere that it was like he, he took particular care in like killing the women and it almost seemed as if he was just trying to get rid of the men so that he could focus on like murdering the women, mm. in which case he'd be like a sexual sadist serial killer. And yeah, the hurting of the women was the, the main event and everything else was just collateral damage basically. Right. Yeah. That was one of the potential theories. Um, that was, who was talking about that? Oh yeah. Criminologists, uh, Colin and Damon Wilson. Yeah. They hmm. speculated that he, like you said, killed male victims only when they obstructed his attempts to murder women. Right. Um, so that, yeah, that's definitely a possibility. Um, one of the theories is again, linked to mafia and black hand. I don't think that's likely, but that was nope. one of the things that was floated. Um, for me, the most likely thing, I think it talking about him being a white working class man who potentially had some form of anger towards the Italian community. Again, either straight up prejudice over how well they did for themselves or um, one of the things that I read was talking about how he was potentially a burglar who was maybe sent to jail by one of the grocers. Um, oh, interesting. Not necessarily like one of the ones that he killed, maybe, but maybe just an Italian grocer in general. And hmm. like maybe he started off with the one who put him away and then continued, you know, he just had this anger towards them in general. Right. Um, or like, I guess maybe like his, the, the killer's like dad could have had a grocery and then was forced out. Like he was forced to right. close because it's like a, an Italian person opened a grocery that put him out of business or something. And so we had a, a vendetta against Italian grocers. Right. Yeah. I mean, if, yeah, the percentage of, groceries owned by Italian immigrants grew so rapidly, then yeah, it's very possible that there were, you know, people native to new Orleans, I right. guess native maybe isn't the right word for that, but right. um, 
non-Italians that lived <laughs> in New Orleans right. that, yeah, were forced out of business just because these Italian grocers are maybe just doing it better or yep. just competing in general. Sucks to suck. Yeah, which, I mean, does seem like a little bit of a crazy thing. Like, unless it was a complete intentional thing where somebody, like, purposely drove someone out of business. Like, if they just had a better grocery and that had to close. I mean, but, you know, the effect on the family, not that I'm justifying this person killing (laughs) other groceries. But I'm just trying to get, like, in that mindset of, like, okay. Right. Yeah, maybe you'd be really angry. You'd be like, damn it, like, that was my dad's life's work. Mm -hmm. You know, that was our family's life's work. and Right. Which would make gone. sense why he would con- the murderer would continue to kill Italian grocers too because it probably wouldn't right. be down to just one. Like, yeah, maybe yeah. like one of the first or second grocers killed was the specific one or the one that the murderer th- felt was the specific one who put his father out of business or whatever. But yeah. then, you know, the whole idea of Italians coming in and taking jobs from good, hardworking Americans. Yeah. I'm sure. <laughs> Again, we'll- thankfully that mindset was phased yeah. out in the 1920s <laughs> and never came back. Oh, man. Yeah, I thank goodness that we like all kind of woke up as a nation and we're in a such better yeah. place now. Yeah, we're totally not racist all and we all just love each other. And we haven't replaced Italians with Mexicans. Yeah, no. And like Middle Eastern people and black yeah. people and literally everything else. It's good. There's definitely no mindset today of like, I'm struggling and so I hate this other person who's struggling because they are causing me to struggle. No. And, and not like blaming the capitalist society that we live in. No. Hey, free free market capitalism clearly chose the Italians over the the white people. Yeah, that's right. all I'm saying. We're going to talk about like yeah, businesses should thrive if they do a good job. Like, well, the Italians did a good job. Did if I like was job. on a block and I saw like a white owned grocery store, like if we're talking like at the time in the 20s, these are like tiny little family owned like super awesome little grocers i would mm-hmm. go to the italian one like all day long. Oh yeah, like you go to the north end of Boston specifically yeah. to go to little italian grocery stores exactly like so i can i can understand why these you know white people were going out of business because yeah i would i'm like picturing being in like a tiny family-owned italian grocery and it sounds awesome right so it's interesting this this case also kind of reminds me of um jack the ripper in the sense mm. that there's you know it's very high profile the murder the um the victims are the big sort of um focus of the discussion of the case Yep. And um, there's no, there's no like, I guess there's maybe a couple ideas of who it could have been, but there's no definitive like this is it. Oh yeah, not not at all. Like this is one of the few, I think, like this, where there was no real solid um, theory. Like the next one we'll talk about is probably the most solid there was, but even that doesn't really stand up. Um, one of the theories was that it was this man, Joseph Mumphrey. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, really the only legitimate suspect that actually like had a little bit more going for him than anybody else. Um, he led a blackmailing gang in new Orleans that targeted Italian Americans. Uh, so in December, 1920, a year after the murder of the ax man's last victim, supposedly in new Orleans, uh, Mike Pepitone Mumphrey himself was shot dead by Pepitone's widow. She claimed that he was the ax man and that she remembers seeing him run from the bedroom that night that her husband was killed. Hmm. Um, he also served time in prison from 1912 to 1918. So right after that would explain the, the gap yeah, in murders. Exactly. Like right after that first run and then right before the second run. Hmm. And um, 
And he also left New Orleans right after Pepitone's murder, which possibly explained why the Axeman attack stopped so abruptly. Hmm. Though, if we look at those 1920 and 21 ones that were potentially the Axeman in New Orleans, that doesn't explain, that wouldn't be linked to Joseph Mumphrey unless he came back, only because when he left New Orleans, he went to the West Coast. From, from what I read, though, it, there's not even definitive evidence that that Mumphrey guy even existed. Well, exactly. It's... Um, yeah, there's no really good evidence, like, fully proving this guy existed, so it's possible <laughs> that he's just an urban legend. Right. So. Or, I mean, like, it was the 1920s, and you could just, like, fly under the radar, like, your whole yeah. life. Oh, yeah, who knows? Like, and I guess it's possible, I mean, he left New Orleans. We don't know for sure how quickly he got to the West Coast. Maybe he just left New Orleans, killed some more people in Louisiana, and then hopped over to the West Coast. Right. Wasn't that long after. Um, so who knows? But he, he was the most kind of solid theory as far as like that making some sense. He was in prison for this time period that made sense to kind of explain this gap. Um, so yeah, obviously copycat killers is one of the ideas. Not all of the Axeman attacks, at least that are potentially linked to the Axeman, follow the same MO. So there could have been a few genuine Axeman attacks and then either some copycats or like we said, if that, that one was a domestic dispute, maybe some burglaries that went wrong that just kind of like got lumped in. Right. Um, it does seem like there were definitely a few that were for sure the same person, but I don't know if all of those were really the ax man. Right. I would say the ones where the door panel was removed more yeah. likely than not are all the same guy, but the ones yeah. without that particular signature, it's up for debate. Yeah, I I mean, it's not impossible that a serial killer would stray from their MO, but I don't know. I feel like yeah, not as likely. Given that this seems to be like a compulsive sadist, I feel like the M, that's a, that would be a part of the ritual form. You know, yeah. like it just seems seems unlikely that unless there was some mitigating factor that prevented it from happening, I don't feel it would probably it wouldn't the murder wouldn't feel right or be satisfying for him if mm. he didn't have that part of it. Well, yeah, and I think, like, the link to the Italian grocers seems, like, even more important that why would there be all of these grocers and then, like, just this random woman, you know? Right. A random, like, pregnant woman by herself and a random 19-year-old. Like, that doesn't fit at all. Right. No, it doesn't so at all. I just all. don't know. Same thing don't with the letter. I, 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 I'm, I don't know. I could go either way on the letter. Yeah. It seems like cool and weird enough that it 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 could be i know that serial killers tend to be narcissists so it oh, makes yeah. sense that he's trying to like play with the police and have this you know playing god basically and making you know having having control over what a whole city does for a night would be a very powerful thing yeah so i can see how that would be you know satisfying for a radical narcissist like a serial killer but on the other hand you know People confess to serial killer crimes all the time when they are clearly not like it's proven that they like when the Son of Sam was happening, there was a bunch of people who confessed to the Son of Sam killings and it just happens every time. Oh, yeah. It's a weird thing that humans do, but we do it. Yeah. So I could totally see it just being some guy trying to sell jazz records. Yeah. I like I said, I can also go either way. I 
do want it to be the killer. But yeah, I think like if I feel like it makes sense to lean more towards him having some issue with these Italian grocers, whether it's something as personal as like, you know, avenging his own family or something as impersonal as just being against these again, like not white and not black people having so much success and that like really bothered him. Right. I just don't think that the letter matches up with those reasonings. Right. To me, like those seem very separate. Like if he was just like an angry person that was seeking this kind of weird revenge on these Italian immigrants for whichever reason, the letter just doesn't fit with that. No. Um, And then if we go by like who he seems to be from the letter, then targeting Italian grocers doesn't fit with that either. Right. Just doesn't seem like that seems more like he would, you know, not have a random array of victims, but that it just wouldn't be so specific to be these like male grocers. I just don't understand how those match up. So I don't know that it makes sense that it would be him. I want it to be him, but I just don't know. Hmm. I don't know. I still like the letter though. Yeah, it's good. It's It's one of the best anonymous letters I've ever read. It really is. And yeah, I mean, like you said, it would be, if it was that jazz musician, like damn dude. Right. Like balls. He had balls. He deserved whatever record sales he got. Yeah. Like amazing. And how, I can't even imagine again, like nowadays I don't think you could do that. Like at the time you could totally send in a letter. I feel like, and say some crazy shit and claim to be a serial killer and mm-hmm. nobody could like trace it to you. That wouldn't happen nowadays. Well, if, that must be we real. Sent, Why would somebody yeah. else send a letter like this? Exactly. Exactly. Like I feel like if I tried to do that nowadays, they would like fucking find you in 10 seconds. They'd be like, Oh yeah, we know this came from you. Like what the fuck you'd have like the FBI at your door. Plus it'd and, be like one of like 50 letters they got. Oh yeah. They'd be like, okay, no. But at the time I feel like somebody probably just like walked that to the fucking newspaper. They were just like, here you go. And somebody's right. like, Oh, thanks. <laughs> right. Um, so it just wouldn't happen nowadays, but like how crazy would that have felt? Especially if that was just like that jazz musician. He's like seeing all of this chaos in the city. Everybody's like, shit, we got to play jazz. And he's like, I did that. He's like, well, conveniently I have several jazz bands that I represent. Yeah. It just seems like a weird thing. I mean, I guess people will capitalize on anything, but if he didn't send that letter and then like just made that single about these murders, like before they were even through happening, it's not like right. it was years later. And he was like, oh, crazy. Like, this was right after the letter that he came out with the single. Like, that seems a little insensitive. Too soon, man. Too soon. Yeah. A little too soon. Like, wait until a little bit later. But that dude was just like, nope. It's like, it's hot right now. Right. I don't know. Rip from the headlines. And then, of course, there would be a paranormal theory. Oh, Um, nice. Here we go. Yeah. Nothing super specific, but he referred to himself, if he did indeed write that letter, as a, quote, spirit and a demon. Uh Um. And some people kind of subscribe to that. It didn't help that he seemed to have some unusual qualities. Again, like managing to fit through the removed panel of a door. <laughs> but like <laughs> <His> boneless qualities. <laughs> if he, okay. If you can condense yourself enough to fit through the panel of a door, uh, I feel like you wouldn't need to remove the panel. You could fit yourself like under the crack of the door or right? through an open window or like down a chimney or some shit. I feel like yeah, it would have like been tombs. Right. It would yeah, have been more supernatural. It wouldn't have been so like, oh, like, so first the supernatural entity picked up a chisel and chiseled <laughs> yeah. his way into the door. And then the supernatural too. stuff started. Yeah. And then it started after. 
<laughs> Damn it. You're like shooting down the paranormal already. Dude, I want, we are like hard. I want to believe, man. I want to believe, but yeah, sometimes doesn't stand up for scrutiny. No, this one doesn't for me. And I mean, it, it was never meant to, but I had to include the paranormal theory oh, because course. it was talked about. It wasn't just me. Um, he also like, again, he, so he fit through the door, but he was described as being large. So it's like, how did he fit? Did he morph <laughs> or like change shape? And then or did he have no bones or did um, he open the door from the panel on the door? And then no, just go he, through the door and then boneless close it after boneless I mean, wings. that would be ridiculous for him to open the door. Yeah. It'd be crazy. And also he disappeared pretty quickly after the killings quote, like he had wings, which so I mean, I don't know. People, yes. It's Mothman. <laughs> they said he was big. He's big and muscular. Dude, just like Mothman. He had ripped calves. He had really ripped legs. They were like, damn, look at those legs. That dude works out, you know, by hmm. landing on cars while he's flying. I mean, to be fair too, like it's nighttime. There wasn't electric lighting may have been a thing but it definitely wasn't widespread so right it was dark as hell yeah so if you go outside you're like 10 feet away from the door you're you're gone you've faded into the darkness <laughs> yeah you're gone that's true too so if people like saw him fleeing again people are just confused by shadows i think yeah. they're like oh he's dark skinned oh wait he like left the door and then he was just gone like no it's just dark man he just faded away like missed yeah he disappeared into the darkness no nope. just no light yeah, so that one didn't really, that wasn't a strong theory, and I do not subscribe to it. But, of course, I like it. I like it. I um, want to believe. Oh, and so that reminds me, I read this thing today. I'm going to paraphrase this badly, but this writer, I wish I like could remember her name now. Dang it. Anyways, this writer had this like Twitter thread that was talking about um, how people come to subscribe so hard to conspiracy theories and what it is about their brain that does that. She was talking about like, I think she was saying she worked at a summer camp and that the kids were like just terrible. And <laughs> she said she has like these gnarly scars like on her legs, I think. And um, she told the kids like all the whole time she was at the summer camp pretty much that she had been attacked by a shark. This was like this crazy story. And she said like she had tons of details. It was like really comprehensive of a story. And these kids were like enthralled by it. And then she said somewhere towards the end, like, you know, before the last week of summer camp, she finally admitted like, nope, I just ran through a plate glass door. <laughs> that like, that was the whole story. That's all I did. But she said that these kids, you know, they were really disappointed. They were like, wow, you lied to me, but they still wanted to hear the shark story again. Like they knew it wasn't true, but they wanted to hear it again. Cause it's the better and story. It's the better story. Like it's more interesting and it kind of is, yeah, it's better than reality in some ways. It's scarier and it's darker and it's more insidious, but it's better than the truth, which is sometimes pretty boring um, and more predictable and more disappointing. You know, when you look at stuff today where it's like, you can explain a million things with a conspiracy that is like this wild thing that has tendrils and everything, or you could just usually boil it down to like some rich white person did something terrible for money. Mm -hmm. And it's more interesting to go with the crazy conspiracy because that's, more there's just more to it so it was kind of like reading about the paranormal theory of this reminded me of that because i was like yeah as much as like i am well aware that that theory is like the absolute least likely theory right. of all of these that's the one i want to believe because it's just cool that's how i live my life is yeah. 
I have in my head sort of like, okay, this is probably the real answer. But then I have the answer that I want to be the true answer. And that's usually the one that I think about the most. Yeah. Like I want him to be some weird demon spirit that like disappeared into the ether. I don't want it to be some dude who just hated Italian people. Exactly. But that's most likely what it was. Yeah. Because that story is disappointing and it's like too, you know, that's too real. I guess that would just be like, oh, of course it's just that. But I want it to be some spooky demon who has no bones and can just like, like waft in and out of these houses and yet, yeah, still remove the panel for some reason. He's got to like, he can't make it too obvious that he's a weird demon. Right. Spooky. He's got to be like, yeah. Yeah. Spooky boneless demon. (laughs) We need like to have a shirt that says that. A shirt that those three letters, those three words. Like with periods after each spooky boneless demon. So, (sighs) yeah. But it made sense. And, it, I was reading that thread and I, I understand that that is geared towards people more nowadays who are believing in dangerous conspiracy theories right now that yeah, you know they'd rather QAnon. not. Yeah. The QAnon stuff like COVID being a hoax shit like mm-hmm. that, because that's more interesting than like, Oh no, there's just a pandemic that's ravaging our country specifically. Yeah. That is because our leadership is shit and we knew this going into it, but we'd rather believe that it's some fucking hoax that people are like fudging the numbers that there's all these little mini conspiracies when it's really just like no the more you see the incompetence of this particular administration the more i start to question whether or not something like the new world order is actually possible yeah exactly because people are fucking stupid and (laughs) in order to like perpetrate some giant global conspiracy that runs the whole world secretly without anybody ever copping to it would require so much intelligence and coordination that is clearly not right uh, present in the world right now. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad like we're at least on the side of believing some conspiracy theories in like a pretty harmless way because we're just like, yeah, okay. The serial killer was probably just like really prejudiced and shitty, but let's like pretend for fun. Like he was a spooky boneless demon. We know he probably wasn't, but that's just a funner story. It's not the same like, as breaking into a pizza store with an assault rifle looking for yeah. the children being held in the basement. Exactly. Exactly. And yeah, we're not like spreading misinformation about a very serious virus because we think that it's being faked so that the election can be thrown as if like somehow we've coordinated a worldwide pandemic just in for Trump's fucking sake. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So that's pretty much it for the theories. Yeah. Um, some fun stuff that I found. Um, first of all, there was this cool photograph that circulated on Reddit and some other places, a photo that was claimed to have been taken by a man named Edouard Martel, a French photographer who traveled across the U S in the early 20th century while apparently testing his new invention, a camera with automatic exposure settings and a shutter mechanism attached to an adjustable timer. So, He would apparently often hide the camera from public view so he could capture truly candid shots. Hmm. Um, Apparently neither his invention nor his photographs got him much success because he died penniless in 1955 and left his photo collection to his daughter, Jean. Um, She looked through the photos and came across one in particular from October 28th, 1919, showing a man entering a doorway in a row of homes in New Orleans. 
So supposedly it was confirmed that it was the home of Mike Pepitone and that was potentially the ax man himself. Dun, dun, dun. That's cool. Um, of course, none of this can be confirmed, including this guy's existence, which isn't that weird of a thing. He, you know, again, was not famous or known for anything. So it's not impossible that we couldn't find proof of him existing, but right. um, in the photo, you know, just looks like a grainy photo. And there's like, just a, you know, it's kind of a blurry picture too, of course. Yeah. He um, does look mad suspicious though. Yeah. Right. You've seen the photo. Oh yeah. Like the dude looks shady. There's nobody oh, else yeah. around. So, um, I'm trying to remember on the notes when it said that Mike it's, uh, was killed. That, that picture is daytime though. I was going to say the picture was daytime and Mike Pepitone was killed. Where is it? Dang it. Stupid notes. Again, you're welcome for unedited episodes, people. Yeah, right. This is, this is real time right now. Rifling through my shit right now. Um, okay. Yeah, he was attacked in the nighttime. So, who knows about that? But hmm. we've got, like, the automatic exposure settings and everything. So, maybe it was just, like, a real... I don't know. Would nighttime photos that good-looking have even existed at the time in 1919? I don't really know. I do not think so. I don't really think so. So, but you know, one of those, again, I would like to believe that that was him, that it was like crazy. This French photographer just happened to be in new Orleans on the night that this killer went into this home and killed this guy. And he just happened to get like the one photo of it. I don't know. Right. That'd be Um, a great story. It'd be a great story. And then secondly, keep in mind that these murders were again May 1918 to October 1919 and uh between September 1918 and March 1919 the Spanish flu was ravaging New Orleans. Dun, dun, dun. Dude, pandemic um killed over 3300 New Orleans residents. That's 1% of the city's population and twice the national rate. Um for those that don't know, the Spanish flu killed like 50 million people worldwide with like over 600,000 people in the U.S. Jesus. So in that particular pandemic, we were not leading the world in deaths. Crazy. Although the Spanish flu, there's actually a, a theory that it originated in like Kansas, the Midwest really? of the United States. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. So it shouldn't be called the Spanish flu. They were just, the Spanish were the ones who actually reported about the flu and didn't just cover it up. Mm. Hmm. Yeah. I actually surprisingly did not go down that hole. I think that just felt too, too, too real. real. Yeah. So I was like, nah, I don't need to know more about that. But I just kept like, as I was reading, I'm like, these years are really familiar. I was like, what the hell else happened in that year? And then I was like, oh shit, that's right. <laughs> Another pandemic. Cool. Right. Oh. So when you think about it like that, I'm like thinking about that now. I'm like, shit. If we lived somewhere that was a little bit more hard hit by this pandemic. And then like, there was also a, you know, killer going around, like axing people. Like I'm trying to imagine on top of everything else. And then also I'm like, damn, this was like, the midst of the Spanish flu and people were packing into jazz clubs. Right. Oh yeah. Not smart, man. Dang. No, hopefully there were distancing. Masks. Yeah. Right. Ugh. Yeah. Cause so again, that was September, 1918 to March, 1919. So like that was potentially right at the tail end of the Spanish flu, like fucking things up in new Orleans. People were just packing into these clubs. Wow. But yeah, just thinking about, you know, like how we're feeling right now where everything is just like shitty. And, and then on top of it, if there was somebody killing people and everybody was like afraid they were next, I was like, man, that's rough. That's really rough. So yeah, just a fun little factoid. 
Wow. That's, that's the Axeman. Axeman. I've been waiting to do this topic for so long. <laughs> I didn't know much about it until just now. Yeah, you know, because I feel like I've suggested the Axeman as a topic like multiple times for some reason. Or maybe I've just thought of suggesting it. Just never been the right time. And then finally we were like, oh, we're like about due for a serial killer or, you know, some type of death. And Axeman was just it this time. Hmm. Pretty awesome. Yeah. Yeah. So wow. any final thoughts? No, yeah, just that um, it's a weird, weird serial killer story always a fan of a weird serial killer story with a weird little twist like 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 the letter if it wasn't for the letter we probably wouldn't even be talking about the axe man right now i mean we might but i wouldn't have been excited about it right like a little bit excited but i wouldn't have been at that letter was for sure like i yeah i have very visceral memories of hearing about this for the first time and like just that letter was it that like drew me in i was like oh man that's crazy so pretty cool and yeah he might not even been the one who wrote it but Anyways, anybody listening, let us know what you think. Do you think it was a spooky boneless demon or (laughs) just somebody who hated Italians or yeah. Do you think the letter was written by the killer? Was it just some dude trying to sell, sell some jazz albums? What do you think? Let us know. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. So as always check us on Instagram at a knowable podcast. Uh, check out our Patreon. We always appreciate any patrons. We, you know, both have kids at home. We are doing this fully as a side gig. We would love to do this more seriously, but yes, your, your monetary support always helps. Um, does. We are in the process right now. Gray has a super dope new design that he did for us actually a little while ago, yep. but we just kind of remembered that it existed recently. <laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. That thing that we did. Um, yeah, it's amazing. I posted it on our Instagram, so go check it out. We are doing some merch with yeah. it. We will for sure be doing some type of shirts and probably stickers, but if there's anything else that you are looking to get that you'd like to have, like patches, phone cases, tote bags, anything, let yeah. us know. Um, but yeah, tune in for next episode. This was episode 49, Axeman of New Orleans. It's a good one. It's a good one. So we are unknowable. Unknowable. Love you.